God's word to us and open it for us today, I'm going to ask if we can pray for her. Loving Lord, you have blessed Dot through the preparation of this word. We ask that she would know your blessing now. We ask, Lord, that she would anoint, that you would anoint her as she speaks to us and that you would anoint us as we listen. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we continue our series on Nehemiah, looking at the parallels we can see between the people of Israel in the time of Nehemiah and our own times. How important this time was is often forgotten. As Christians, we tend to concentrate on the New Testament. But looking at the Old Testament, there is so much we can learn. For instance, did you know that God's continued to send his prophets to warn of the consequences of not following his law? The consequences of not loving him and putting him first. God's love for his people was so great He had such patience with them. He warned them time and time again to return to him. But in the end, he had no other option but to do as he had told them through his prophets. I'm sure I forgot some, but all these books in the Old Testament either predict and talk about the experience of the exile, and they also talk about God's longing for his people to return to him. Are you ready? 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Psalms. That's a long list, just talking about what's going to happen. So here we get an idea of just how important this period of the Jewish history was. And I'm sure that as we go through this sermon, we can identify parallels between the Jewish people and us as Christians. So today, we see the Jews returning to Jerusalem after one of the worst experiences in their history. They were allowed to leave their land of captivity and were able to return home. This was a very different company of Jews from the ones that had gone into slavery 70 years ago. These are people who deeply felt their separation from God and their homeland. You only need to read the Laments in Psalm 137, verses 1 to 7, to understand their heartfelt pain of separation. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captives asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. 
Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on that day in Jerusalem when Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. There is no doubt here that this was a lament from the heart. They had suffered the consequences of disobedience to God. As we heard in the reading from Deuteronomy, they had become reliant on their own strength. They had everything their hearts desired, and they turned their backs on the God who had saved them, who had provided for them, who loved them with an everlasting love. And God did as he said he would. He let Judah be conquered, and the people were led into slavery. The temple was destroyed. The sign that God's presence was dwelling with them, ruined. Those that had been led into captivity perished in Babylon, leaving their children and their children's children with the stories about Jerusalem, the life they had led, and the knowledge that the exile was the just reward for their actions in turning their backs on God. The lament is heartfelt. Their story is true. God hears their cry. And then, after 70 years of captivity, they were able to to return to Jerusalem. God had compassion on his people. And as prophesied before in Jeremiah, we see the restoration of Israel. Jeremiah 29.10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And so we turn to chapter 8 in the book of Nehemiah. We find the children of Israel here, back in Israel, after a long and harsh captivity, released to return to their homeland. They began to rebuild all that had been utterly destroyed when the Babylonian army marched into Jerusalem. As we learned over the past couple of weeks, God used key leaders to restore Israel physically and spiritually. He used Zerubbabel to rebuild the ruined temple. Nehemiah was instrumental in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And Ezra proclaimed the centrality of God's word in the community life. This is where we're focusing on this morning. Here in chapter 8, we find the Israelites gathering shortly after the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. They were done with the physical reconstruction of the walls and now they were ready for the restoration of the spiritual community. So where did they turn? Let's get Denise to read Nehemiah, starting chapter 7, the last part of verse 73. Ezra reads the law. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... All of the people came together as in one square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out of the book the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. 
Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattatithar, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Helakiah, and Masaiah, and on his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Malachijah, Hashem, Habadashah, Danah, Zachariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because they were standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord and the great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces on to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Shebadai, Jamin, Akub, Shabbathai, Hodithai, Man... Masai, Keleta, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, and Pelaiah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, teaching of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This Day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This is the day, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of the food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which was the Lord which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their times and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles and palms and shade trees, to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Euphraim. The whole company had returned from exile, built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the days the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Well done, Denise. (laughs) Here are the Israelites, and their first action as a nation is to come together to ask Ezra to bring out the word, the word, the book of Moses. We see the people, with no distinction between men and women, 
Now all the people standing before Ezra and his fellow leaders returning to the word of God. It feels as though they're hungry, hungry for the word of God. They have seen how the word of God was true. What was prophesied by Jeremiah had become a reality in their lifetime. They understood the sins of their forefathers. They understood that the pride of their forefathers in their own capacities and riches and their worship of other gods had caused the downfall of their nation. Their forefathers had rejected God, trusting in their own strength, but not so the remnant that returned to Jerusalem. In them there was hunger, hunger to know more about the living God, hunger to understand their unique standing in his eyes as the chosen people. So they pray, they confess their sins, they repent, they weep in sorrow and prostrate themselves before God. And then like sponges, they soak up the word of God, the living word. It sounds like a revival to me. Ezra reads from the book, and verse 8 says that as he reads, he makes it clear to the people, so they understood what was being read read to them. And the more they hear the word read to them, the more they realize that what they need more than anything else was to know God better and to follow his commandments. They were given a second chance. As a people, they understood that they could not do it on their own. As a people, they realized that it was their obedience to the word of God that had got them into trouble. And as a people, they wanted to get it right this time. Verse 10 says, Nehemiah sending the people home, home to enjoy food and sweet drinks and to celebrate with great joy, encouraged them to share the celebration with others who had nothing prepared. And he tells the people not to grieve, for the joy of the Lord is their strength. So they celebrate, and after that they return to Ezra, and he as a teacher opens the words of the law of Moses to them. And then verse 14 says, They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from the olive and wild olive trees and from the myrtles, psalms, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, ordered by Moses in Leviticus 23, verses 39 to 43. They say, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The Feast of Tabernacles is a feast that remembers God's faithfulness. It is an active action that made the people of Israel remember God's deliverance of his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It is no coincidence that the people have choose to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles when they heard the words of the law. After all, they too had been delivered from slavery, from Babylon, and were given another chance by God to return to him and once again become his people. We too have acts like this to help us remember. 
Just think of the communion we will share later on. Holy communion is an active remembrance of Christ's death for us and the salvation that became ours through that death. So here in Nehemiah, we see the restoration of God's people to being obedient to the word. In doing so, they find again the joy of the Lord. They know God's love and they have seen his faithfulness. So what can we learn from, for ourselves? Roger. In 1997, so 20 years ago, the Bible Society commissioned a survey to research the personal Bible reading habits of Christians. Based on a random sample of regular churchgoers in England and Wales, the study showed that 16%, fewer than one in five, were in the habit of personally reading or hearing read something from the Bible every day. And that including those who did read the Bible daily, only one in four read the Bible more than once a week. Overall, just one-thirds had read at least something from the Bible during the last 12 months. However, this meant that nearly a third had either not read anything from the Bible during the last 12 months or had never personally read the scriptures at any time in their lives. I'm sure that if this research was done now, 20 years later, the figures would be even less. I won't do a survey here to see how many of you read the Bible on a regular basis. And somehow, it's not even about how much you read. It's about how much time you spend with him. Do you have a hunger to get to know him better? Do you think about him during the day? Do you talk to him? Do you spend time with others talking about him and learning more about him? Is your love of God a love from the heart or from the head? Do you come to church on a Sunday because you've always done so or to meet up with people? Or do you come because you have a hunger to know more of him, to worship him together with others, expressing your love? Is coming to church an obligation or a habit rather than time to fill up our tanks of faith to hear the word and to worship him. I want to invite you this morning just to dwell on God's love for us. In the Old Testament, God's love for his people was evident through all the books. We seem not to realize it, dwelling more on how violent or cruel some of the orders are. However, this is God pleading with his children to stop doing wrong and for them to repent. He desperately wants to bless his chosen ones, but they rebel time and time again. His promise is always that if they would repent of their sins, he would bless them. Time and time again, he sends his prophets to turn the people away from their sins, but to no avail. It reminds me of Matthew 21, verses 20, 33 to 46, the parable of the landowner, where Jesus tells of the landowner who built a beautiful vineyard and then went away renting out the vineyard. Yet every time he sent his servants to collect the rents, the servants were killed. Eventually, he sent his son, hoping they would listen to him, yet they killed the son, hoping that that way they could seize the vineyard for themselves. And Jesus asks, what would happen to them? And he went on to say that the owner would destroy those who had leased the vineyard and that he would give the vineyard to others who would benefit from the vineyard in all its glory. 
This parable directly tells us that we as the Gentiles are now the recipients of the vineyard because of the disobedience of the Jews. This parable is so clear to us as Christians. It speaks of God's love, that love that is so great that he sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could have eternal life with him. Does that God not deserve to be loved? Do you not want to get to know him better? God loves you completely, unconditionally, no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what you look like, no matter what education you have, what jobs you have or don't have. His love for you is complete. This God of the universe, this God wants to enter into a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to get to know you for you to know, get him. He wants you to get to know him better. But how can that happen if you don't spend time with him? God reveals himself to you through his word to us, the Bible. But so many of us hardly ever take the time to read his word, to study it, to be challenged by it, to find guidance from it, to find comfort through it, to discuss it together with others. Roger. Next one. It's like you have a computer that you don't spend time learning how to use it. How can you get anything out of your computer if you don't take time to learn how to use it? We live in difficult times. There are uncertainties all around us. Our society is becoming more and more secular and values that were once held as dear are now disregarded. It's like we read in Deuteronomy 8 at the beginning of this sermon. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have that is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Our society has no time for God. It rejects him. Yet all of us sitting here, we have a choice not to reject him, not to wait until it's too late, but instead to turn to him now and to be like the people in Nehemiah. Next one. Remembering God's faithfulness to us and rejoicing in his goodness and to be hungry for his word and wanting to follow his commands, the people in Nehemiah were eager to hear the word of the God of God. We need to be like that as well, craving to hear his word and being in awe that the Lord who created the universe is the same God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to save us from our sin and died in our place so that we can come into that living relationship with him. The people of Nehemiah were excited and longed to hear the word. We too need to get to that stage again, that we want to spend time in his word and be energized by it. We are now able to listen to sermons or Bible studies, not just in church, but also through television or the internet. We need to be enthusiastic about spending time in his word. There are so many ways open to us to learn more, 
church and church-organized groups like home groups, spaces, books, the internet, television, radio stations like UCB and Premier. The list is endless. Never before have we been able to act such knowledge like today. This morning, I want you to, to, to challenge you to fall in love with God again, to return to that first love when we first believed, to make a decision not to wait until life gets difficult before you look for words of wisdom and comfort in the Bible. Last next one. Instead, find a, make a decision to find God. Take time out to spend time with him. Join a house group or a spaces group if you've not done so. Start reading your Bible. The Lent course will be starting soon. Why not make that your first step into reading, spending time with God daily? If you are already doing all these things, how about finding other ways to be challenged in your love of God? Online study, involvement in teaching others, the list is endless. This morning, be challenged. Pluck yourself into the socket of God's love and be energized.